Heavenly Father, we are um, thankful and yet brokenhearted um, as we get to come to you with these requests. And, and God, we, we recognize the desperation in a lot of these situations, God, for, for salvations and for sick people and, and for a, a terrible situation in Grandview. And God, we realize that, that without you, there's, there's no hope. Without you, that um, people are lost and dying and, and the world is very, very broken. And so we pray for your intervention, God, we pray that you would intercede, that you would come to people's rescue, that, that in the midst of, of really, really dark situations, that the light of your gospel and your love would shine brightly and that people would come to know you as their Lord and Savior because of these situations. God, we trust you. We love you. We ask for your blessing on tonight. We pray that you would help us to receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would go with me to the book of Nehemiah. So we have a bit of, a, of an odd message tonight, I'll call it. It's, it's a message and it's announcements and it's plans and it's high level and kind of philosophical and at the same time it's sort of low level and very practical. And so we're gonna try to communicate all of that in the next 30 minutes. And um, so just be in prayer throughout as we go over these things. So I want to cover a few things tonight. We're going to go over sort of what, what, what I would describe as the ministry context. Where do, how is it, or what is, the ministry, what is the context in which we're doing ministry here? We'll talk about some guiding principles that are going to guide us into what we're calling our emergency action plans. So we're going to get there. But first, let's talk about our ministry context. So on Tuesday nights, Pastor Sam has started the process of taking us through um, the ministry principles. You know, there's nine ministry principles that MBT operates by, and I'm gonna fast forward a little bit and and do a little sneak preview of one of those ministry um, principles because it sets the stage for where we need to be tonight. So one of our ministry principles is that, you know, we operate in light of spiritual realities. So the reality of our world, the reality of life, is that we live in a fallen, sinful world and that Satan is trying to destroy ministry. Church history can be summed up as God moving and Satan counterattacking. God going this direction and, God, and, and Satan opposing it. And we see that, right? We see this all over the Bible. You see this from the garden. You see this as God is trying to lead his people out of Egypt. As soon as God starts moving his people to leave Egypt, Pharaoh hammer, you know, puts the hammer down. He, he starts making them work harder. He starts oppressing them more and more. Um, you see this as Abraham is trying to, to leave his land. You see opposition after opposition. Jesus himself comes on earth and he faces opposition mainly by religious leaders, mainly by the people that you would think would be supporting his ministry. But every time you see God move, you see Satan move. And, and we've all seen this in our own lives. If you've taken any steps of obedience in your life, you have noticed that as soon as you start obeying the Lord, opposition comes. It, maybe you got baptized and a day later or a week later, that friend that you had you know, cut off because they were a bad influence, that person calls you and invites you to a party or invites you to hang out. And all of a sudden temptation is there. All of a sudden opposition is there. You make a stand for the Lord and your parents don't love it, and, you're, and maybe your boss cracks down on you. We, you see this, um, we've all seen this. Maybe, maybe you go to a retreat, or maybe you go mission focus, or you go to ACR, and God moves, and he speaks to you, and as soon as you get home, you face opposition. It's a spiritual 
truth. It's a reality. It's where we operate. When I was thinking about our context of ministry, I do think that in some ways we're similar to the book of Nehemiah. So in the book of Nehemiah, we know that Nehemiah has led this campaign back to Jerusalem and they're attempting, he's got a group of people, they're attempting to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. The wall has been destroyed and the people are vulnerable. So as soon as Nehemiah and his men start rebuilding the wall, opposition comes. Look at Nehemiah chapter four and we'll read verse We'll start in verse seven, it says, but it came to pass that when Samballad and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. So what do you have here? You have God's people moving, God's work going forth, and you have opposition. As soon as God starts to move, the opposition comes. We need to pay attention to the response though. Look at the response in verse nine. It says, nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night. So we need to, re- we need to keep this in mind. Tonight, we'll talk super practical, like what are we gonna do in case of a fire? Like we're gonna literally talk about what's our fire drill, and that's important. That would be the part of setting a watch, right? But you notice the first thing they did is they prayed. So let's always keep that as our priority. Let's always pray. Let's not put our trust in the plans that we make. Let's not put our trust in our safety team. Let's not put our trust in the building. Let's not put our trust in the weather service to notify us in time of a tornado. Let's put our trust in the Lord and let's remember to pray first of all. Everybody knows Nehemiah chapter four, verse 17. And so, so what happens is Nehemiah gets his men together. Um, they're praying, they're setting a watch. And verse 17 says this, says, then they which build it on the wall and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, everyone with his own hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. And so we have, what you have is you have people doing the work of the Lord. You have people putting the wall back together. And at the same time, they're defending the wall. They're, they're using weapons to defend the people against attack. So, so what do we learn from that? I would say, do not take from this that you should bring a weapon to church. That is not what God is trying to say to us. What God is saying to us is, let's pray and be watchful, and let's pay attention to our situation, let's be aware of our surroundings, and let's protect ourselves as we need to, but let's trust the Lord to do that. Billy Graham said it this way, actually. Billy Graham said that we should go through life with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Now, today, I think it'd be really hard to go find a newspaper. I I don't know where you would go to get that, but the idea is I am navigating life based on the Bible and what is happening, based on the context and the situation. So we have to take a really hard look at where do we live, where do we operate, where do we do ministry, right? We do ministry in uh, what I would call a rough neighborhood. We do ministry in, if you look at crime maps of the Kansas City area, we live and operate and do ministry in a high crime area. And so we need to set our, we need to set our plans, we need to set our purpose, we need to set our watch against those things. So before, so we've set up our context. This is where we live, this is where we operate, this is how we do ministry, this is where we do ministry. Now let's look at some guiding principles. Let's go to, to the book of Romans. Um, chapter 12. 
So Romans chapter 12 starts out with, you know, Paul telling the, the Roman church to lay down their lives, right? He's telling them to be a living sacrifice so they can understand what God's will is. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then Romans chapter 12 gets into spiritual gifts. And the part on spiritual gifts is great. But we're going to go beyond that. We're going to go to, to chapter 12, verse 9. Because here's what we need to know. The things that we're going to talk about tonight do not require spiritual gifting. These are things that any Christian can do. Like We're going to say things like, like Paul says, let love be without dissimulation. So no one can say, well, I don't have the spiritual gift of love. No, Paul is commanding the church to love. It's your job to love. It doesn't matter if you have the spiritual gift or not. It doesn't matter where your gifting is. It doesn't matter what your context is. It doesn't matter where you're doing ministry. Ministry, your job is to love. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And we could go on through basically the end of Romans chapter 12, but for tonight, we're just going to take a look at these three verses. So the first thing he says is, he says, let love be without dissimulation. In other words, don't love in a fake way. Love in real, tangible, actionable ways. So how do we do this, right? We, first of all, we love one another. Jesus told his disciples that they would be known, that the world would know them by their love for one another, John 13, 35. Okay, what, how else should we love, right? We should love amongst ourselves. We should love without dissimulation among ourselves. We should love our neighbors. We should love the people and the businesses and the homes and, the pe- and, the, and, and our neighbors around our very building. Super practical. What does this look like? What this looks like is if you pull up on Sunday morning and the only spot, or maybe on a Tuesday night, and the only spot available is over by the Meyer building, right? Really close to the Meyer building. What do you need to remember? You need to remember that there's a tattoo shop that uses that parking lot. Okay, so are we saying, no, you can't park there? No, what we're saying is the best way to interact with our neighbors is to love them. And maybe that looks like parking a little bit farther away so that you have to walk a little bit more. Maybe that looks like not parking in this close parking lot so that someone with a bunch of little kids or someone who's handicapped or someone that can't walk as well can park there. So this is high level, right? We love without dissimulation, but what does that actually look like when we're talking about our context and when we're talking about you know, being, being aware of where we are operating? Maybe it looks like that. It's also our job to love without dissimulation, right? We need to love visitors, right? I think that often there can be this, this tendency to say, well, we have a connections team or we have people in green shirts or we have, you know, loving, our, loving visitors is really for those outgoing people. And, and I'm, a, I'm an introvert, so it's not my job to do that. Notice that Paul doesn't say, let love be without dissimulation if you're an extrovert, Like, it's just not in there. It's a command to the church. It's a command to the saints. You're you're in church, you should love. The second thing he says in this verse, he says, abhor that which is evil and cleave to what is good. So abhorring the evil is staying away from evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from all appearance of of evil. We need to keep evil away from us. And maybe this is like super, super practically, what does this look like? This looks like, 
Um, don't walk alone at night to your car in the dark at 10 o'clock. There's some evil out there. Be aware of it. Be afraid of it. Don't go toward it. Cleave to that which is good, right? We should hang on tight to that which is good. Verse 10 says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. That word affection, my, the, my favorite verse that, that shows how this word um, is used is actually in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. When Paul is explaining to the Thessalonians, he says, you know, when we came to Thessalonica, he says, we were gentle among you as a nurse cherisheth her children. So he's talking about how affectionately they treated each other. So the picture is a nursing mom holding the baby close. That's how affectionate we should be with one another. And so, okay, what does this look like? We're going to talk about what do we do in case of a fire? What do we do in case of an active shooter? What do we do in case of X situation? Well, let's be guided by love. Let's, let's love without dissimulation. Let's be affectionate to one another. Um, let's prefer one another. Let's put other people first. Because at the end of the day, no matter what plan we create for whatever situation, the plan is never going to go like we want it to. Right? Like, something's going to fall apart. But if we're loving each other, if we're preferring each other, if we're abhorring the evil and cleaving to the good, then we're going to make it through any situation. If we're following these guiding principles, the last thing he says in verse 11, he says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So let's not be slothful. Let's make sure that we understand what our job is. Let's work hard. Let's be orderly. Let's be fervent in spirit. To be fervent is to like boil with heat. Let's have so much energy and passion that we're going to carry these things out for the Lord. And let's not forget who we serve. He, he ends it here in verse 11 by saying, serving the Lord. Let's remember why we do this. Let's remember why we're here. We're here to serve the Lord. And so we, we understand our ministry context. We understand that, that we're in a, a tough neighborhood. We're, we're living in times much like Nehemiah, where we need to be watchful, where we need to be praying. And we understand some guiding principles. So let's go over some other pretty practical stuff. Let's talk about what the church is doing to protect you. This is like the structure that is in place. We have a safety team. And when you come into church and you see those guys outside, tell them thank you. Because they're out there sweating, they're out there in the cold, and they're watching, they're taking care of you. Another thing that our church has in place, we have a hospitality team. They're there for you. We have a counter team. We're in the middle of organizing a group of people who are going to be carrying weapons in church. And so there it is. Like, these are things that we need to talk about. You need to understand that so that you know that, that things are in place, that, that plans are being made for our safety, for our protection. And then you need to, you'll need to know how to operate within that structure. You've noticed for the last month we have an off-duty police officer outside. Is that because the church received some big threat? It's not. That's a preventative measure. That's a, hey, if you think about coming to this place to do harm, guess what? We have a, we have a person out there. We have a, a vehicle. We have a man in a uniform with a gun as a deterrent. And so these are things that the church is doing. Now, what about you? What should you be doing? There's a few things. We'll talk about four of them. Number one, you should watch and pray. Just watch and pray. Right? 
This is what Jesus tells his disciples as he's in the garden. This is what uh, Nehemiah is doing in Nehemiah chapter 4. He's saying pray, and then we're going to set a watch. So let's watch, let's pray, let's be vigilant, let's be watchful, and be aware of your situation, right? Be aware of, of where we are. Be aware of where you are. It's easy to get very comfortable, right? It's easy to get to the point where we think, well, nothing has happened yet. Or that could never happen to me, right? It's easy to think that way, but I, I would urge you, I would encourage you to be on guard, to be ready. I would also encourage you, and what we'll do tonight is we'll take a little time to think through what each of us would do in a given situation. You need to think about that. Um, this is something I wasn't aware of. Uh, you know, back in February, we had a guy come in and taught on situational awareness. We had some connections people that did some training, and he brought up things, and he, he thought about our church in a way that I never had. Like, I just show up and sit down. I don't show up and sit down and think, what's the best way for me to leave this building in a hurry based on where I'm sitting? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought, like, man, there's some slow people in the aisle next to me. Like, I'm not going to make it. Like, I'm going to have to push them out of the way. This is going to be bad. Is that episode of Seinfeld? Is it? Okay. I'm aging myself a little bit. George Costanza's pushing old people and kids out of the way to get out. Like, don't be that guy. Okay? In honor, prefer one another. Let's not be George Costanza. Number two, if you see something, say something. This is, an, this is like kind of an overused phrase, but it's right. One thing that... that when, when we went through the situational awareness training, one thing that the trainer said is, you know, God gave us instincts for a reason. Like, when you're in a situation and you feel tense and you feel like the pressure is rising or you feel scared, trust that instinct. God gave you that for a reason. Trust it. And then if you see something that's, you see someone that's out of place, you see someone that's hurting, you see someone that's not doing well, you see someone that shouldn't be somewhere where they, you know, they shouldn't be where they are, say something. Escalate it. Take it to a safety person. Take it to a hospitality person. Take it to a pastor. Man, we, we you know, it's as simple as, you know, hey, I need to use the restroom during service and you walk out and there's a couple of kids hanging out in the cafe. Should kids be hanging out in the cafe in the middle of service? No. Are they dangerous? No. But could something bad happen to them because they're not where they're supposed to be? Yeah, it could. So say something. We're a family, right? I've got two boys that go here. If they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing or if they're in a vulnerable situation, help them. Say something. Do something about it. Number three, we need to be wise. We need to avoid dangerous situations. What does this look like? This looks like um, not walking to your car alone at night, right? This looks like not leaving your valuables out in plain sight so that people can see them, okay? This, this looks like um, being aware of your surroundings and acting the right way. Number four, you need to use the church's resources, right? We have a safety team. We have a hospitality team. Really, really practical, what does this look like? When, when you on Sunday morning come and grab your cup of coffee and you're, you're going to go over to Life or you're going to go over to Faith Fellowship or you're, you're going to go over to Kaya and you just nonchalantly walk across the street, you've just put yourself in danger. 
If you've never been out there on a Sunday morning, people will go 30 or 40 miles an hour right down the street. And they don't care that church is happening. They don't care that we've got a couple hundred people trying to cross the street. But you know what we do have? We have guys with vests and stop signs that will stand in the middle of the street so that you can go across. So use them. Go to them. They're there for you. Another resource the church has is if you have kids, you go to that little computer screen and you type in your phone number and you get a little sticker. And when you go to pick up your kid after church, you need to show that sticker to the kid town worker. It doesn't matter if that kid town worker is your best friend, if you discipled him, if they know you personally, show the sticker. Okay, we need to be really, really good about that. That is a spot where we're, where we're vulnerable, right? The last thing I would say about using the church's resources is don't abuse the church's resources. So I had two titles for this message. One was it's just a family meeting. My other title, which I didn't use, is your mom doesn't live here. So, so pick up after yourself. Like, just be respectful, right? No one wants to come into a kid town room that's trashed before they teach in kid town. No one wants to come into a kitchen to make a bunch of coffee or do donuts or make a meal that's already trashed. So take care of it. Like, we're all in this together. But also know that there's lots of grace and lots of love, and we prefer one another. And while the person cleaning your dishes, you know, Hopefully they have a good attitude about it, but don't put them in, in that position. Don't, don't test them on that. The other thing I would say, one last thing about using the church's resources, if you need a room, like you want to have a meeting, you think, all right, I've got this ministry thing, we're going to have a meeting, let's meet at six o'clock in room 202, great. There is a way for you to go and reserve that room so that there's not a bunch of other people in there when you show up. The other thing that reserving a room does, so our heating and cooling system will heat or cool that room based on whether or not you're going to be in there. So if you don't schedule a meeting through my MBT and you show up to a room and it's July, that room might be 80 degrees. Also, you might be in someone else's space. Now, are we territorial? No. Are, are we going to kick someone out? Are we going to say, you can't be here because I'm here? Well, it depends on the person, maybe. But reserve your spot. Like, those are simple things that we can all do to, to live together. I had a, the unfortunate experience in college. of So this college I went to, they ran out of dorm space because, like, enrollment went up. And this is a long time ago. This is before no one, this is before everyone quit going to college. But, so like my freshman year, I live in this dorm and it's fine. And then the next year they're like, okay, so all of our space is full and we converted some closets to rooms and we have some homes around the area and we're going to put you guys in a home. So I lived in this house with three other guys in a basement and there were another group of people that lived upstairs and we like shared a bathroom. We had to have some rules about how to operate with each other, right? Like, Flush the toilet when you're done. I mean, simple stuff, but it, it makes life better and easier. So your mom doesn't live here, and I'm not your mom, but let's all look out for each other. Let's prefer one another. If I leave the, ca the cafe, if I leave a room in better shape than I found it, I am preferring you over me. That's a really practical way to do that.
So we need to, to drill down now. We need to move on to our emergency action plans. Um, we'll spend a little bit of time here. And let's just keep in mind all of the things that we've been talking about, right? Let's keep in mind Romans chapter 12. Let's keep in mind Roman, uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to watch. We're going to pray. We're going to prefer one another. So let's go over what happens in case of a fire. So when I taught in a public school, we did a fire drill twice a year. The, the bell went off, you brought your kids out to the parking lot, everybody stood around and had fun, and then you went back in. We're not going to go that far, but this is information that you all need to know so that if in, in case it happens, we all know what to do. Now understand, the chance of a fire engulfing this building is pretty small, but we still need to talk about it. Here's what's going to happen if there's a fire. Kid Town, back here and from downstairs, is going to exit the building, and they're going to be in the north parking lot. If there's so much smoke that they can't be there, they're gonna be over here. Why do we need to know that? We need to know that because the first thing I'm gonna think about if there's a fire is where are my kids? And I wanna make sure they're safe. What you need to know is that Kidtown does not need your help to get your kids out. Stay where you're, go where you're supposed to go. Okay, our job in the sanctuary is to wait for instruction and then we leave the building and we're gonna leave the building that direction, and we're gonna go out those doors that no one ever uses because we need to keep the doors going this direction free for all the kids and everybody else leaving from the basement. So if you're in here and we get the news, what's gonna happen is the person that's at the pulpit will instruct us on how to leave, but that will happen that direction. So if you wanna make it real for you, I left you a blank that says, if there's a fire, I will. If you, if it helps you to remember, write it down, say, I will wait for the, the person at the pulpit to tell me what to do, and then I will follow instructions. Whatever that looks like, that's what you're going to do. Also, we don't need everyone in here to call 911. Someone at the counter will take care of that. We also have a police officer that can make that happen. One other thing to remember in case of a fire, the elevator is not available. The lift is not available. So if you see someone that needs help, we're gonna to have to get some men together and carry that person down the stairs. It's not available because the power goes out and someone's in there, then we're in trouble. That's the fire drill. We're not gonna practice the fire drill. But you need to know where your kids are gonna be and you need to know what you should do in case of a fire. Wait for instructions, leave the building. What about a tornado? So for a tornado, the kids that are already downstairs, they're staying put. The kids that are coming from upstairs, they're gonna join classrooms downstairs. And the kid town workers have a list of where your kids will be. There will also be lists of where all the kids are located at the counter. Again, what you need to know is that the kid town workers don't need your help to get your kids downstairs. Let them do that. We have a narrow staircase back here that they're using. If you run upstairs to get your kids, and they're coming down, you just caused a big problem. So again, stay in your seat and wait for instructions. You need to know again, the counter's gonna call 911, the lift is unavailable. Um, if, you're, if you're super worried about your kids, the Kid Town procedure is that you may join your kids in their classroom or you may stay in the hallway. You've been in the hallway for Tuesday night meal for mission focus, for other busy times. If there's a tornado, we're gonna really get to know each other. It's gonna be tight, but that's okay. 
You also need to know that for either a fire or a tornado, the normal kid town checkout process is going to happen. Those teachers are going to have a list. And if they're out in the parking lot and a kid disappears because you came up and grabbed your kid to leave, their list is now incomplete. You need to go to them and check, them, check your kid out as, as you would on a normal Sunday or Tuesday. So we've covered those two. The third one is, the, is maybe the more difficult one. Let's talk about what would happen in case of an active shooter. Before we get there, uh, a few years ago, there was a grant was given to a couple college professors, and they looked at data for, for almost 200 mass shootings that have happened over the last 30 or 40 years. And the, the, the purpose of the study was to say, who are the people that are doing mass shootings? Who are the people that we should be looking for? How can we profile them? And what they, they came to some conclusions, um, and these are generalizations. This doesn't mean that everyone that commits a mass shooting falls into these categories or does these things, but by and large, they follow these patterns. The first thing that happens is that there's almost always some early childhood trauma. That could look like abuse. That could look like parents committing suicide. That could look like extreme bullying at school. That person as a child went through something really, really difficult. The second thing is that this person's life spirals into hopelessness, despair, isolation, self-loathing, and rejection from peers. There's always, almost always in these people's lives, there's almost always some point of crisis, and often these people have attempted suicide. Nearly everyone, nearly all persons who engage in mass shootings were in a state of crisis in the days or weeks preceding the shooting. Why do we need to know this? We need to know this because 90% of the time, school shooters target their own school. They don't have the statistics for, sh for church shootings, for what percentage of church shootings happen by church members, but I would venture to guess that it's typically, it's an inside job. So, as we are loving one another, as we are preferring one another, as we are engaging in relationships with one another, we need to notice if and when these things are happening. We need to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters. We need to be in prayer for that guy that used to come to Bible study, but he hasn't been here for a few weeks. I think something's going on with him. We need to be in prayer for that guy. You, you know, legislation isn't going to stop mass shootings. Making great plans isn't going to stop mass shootings. Taking away everybody's guns, well, that'll never happen. Giving everyone a gun isn't going to stop mass shootings. What's going to stop mass shootings is people coming to salvation in Christ. Is, is people's lives being transformed from the inside? And what else would be the job of the church? Why else do we exist? We exist to share the love, to share, to share the love of Christ, to share the gospel with people, to transform their lives. And so we need to watch out for each other. We need to see these patterns we need to see when people are being when people are isolating themselves. We need to see what how they react to crisis. We need to know their past and see where they've been, right? And we need to get to know them. We need to pray for them and we need to love them. We need we need to intervene. Now we also know that all of that intervention and all of these things that we can know about shooters are are great. It's good to know these things, but we also need to know what to do in case it happens here. Did you know that in 2023, so far this year, 
there have been more mass shootings in the United States than days in the year. There have been over 200 what are called mass shootings. A mass shooting is when four or more people are shot or killed. It's happened over 200 times since January 1 till today, May 16th. Two, over 200 times in the United States. That's where we live. So, so what do we do? We have a few things. First thing you need to know is that Kidtown is going to be on lockdown. Soon as something happens, Kidtown is basically always on lockdown. Those doors should be locked. Um, no one will be leaving the classroom if there is an active shooter. So in the other situations, if there's a fire, if there's a tornado, we wait for instructions and then we act. If there's an active shooter, we need to act immediately. So how we are communicating this is that you, we as a congregation, will do two things. We'll get down and we'll get out. What does that mean? The, the FBI puts out literature and what they say is that you should hide, run, and fight. Not necessarily in that order, but those are the three things that you should do. Okay, so what we've taken that to, to what we, how we have interpreted that as a church is get down. The wooden pew in front of you will not stop a bullet, but it will prevent someone from being able to see you well. So get down, and if you are able, get out of the room, get out of the building. Why should you get down? One, because the pew does provide some protection, and two, at any given time, there are a number of men, five, 10, 15 men in this room who are carrying weapons. If you're standing up and, and running and panicking, it's really possible that you get caught in the line of fire. We, we need a chance for our men who are carrying weapons and our women who are carrying weapons, we need a chance for them to engage with the shooter. Um, there are some really, um, these video, there's some videos that you can see online of, of mass shootings in churches or, or times when, when someone took a gun out at church. And, and in some cases, within four or five seconds, that shooter is neutralized, is, is taken out because of the quick action of someone in the, in the building, of someone who was in the congregation who was carrying a weapon. So we need to make sure that we are not in the way of that happening. And I know this is like, why, do we, why would we want to talk about this in church? We, we need to talk about this in church because of the reality of, of where we live. It's important. We need to know, you need to know, one, that we as a church, the church leadership has thought about these things and cares enough about all of you and cares enough about the ministry to put plans in place so that the ministry is not hindered and stopped and so that we as a body are protected, so that we are taken care of. And so our first response is to get down and if you're able, get out. A little more clarification. The next slide shows a, a few little points of clarification about the run, hide, and fight. So if you run, if you're able to leave the building, what the FBI says is as you're leaving the building, you need to have open hands and they need to be up. Because hopefully by the time we are leaving, if someone's leaving, police have already shown up and they're entering the building. But they don't know who the shooter is. If you run out and you're holding your cell phone, 
And that, that could look like, from, from their point of view, that could look like a weapon. The other thing to say about running and leaving the building is we have to be aware sometimes these situations involve multiple shooters, one on the inside and one on the outside waiting for people to come out. So, so why do we say run? Well, because it might be better than being a sitting duck. But you have to know that there is still risk as you leave the building. So you need to take, um, you, need to, you need to know that. You need to be considerate of that as you leave. If you're able to hide, what, what the literature says is that if you're, if you're able to hide somewhere in the building, say you leave this room and you find a closet, you find a bathroom, you find somewhere to hide, you're supposed to barricade the door, silence your phones, and you're supposed to make a plan to defend yourself in case the attacker makes his way into that room. So that's if you find a place outside of here to hide. What they say about fighting is if you're, if, if you're in a situation where you need to engage with the shooter, they say don't fight fair. Like This person is trying to harm and kill us. So just do whatever you can to neutralize him. And, and remember, keep in mind that you are fighting for your life. So you need to remember, get down, get out of the way, and get out, of, get out of the range of the shooter, if at all possible. We have people that are gonna be ready to take that person out. Okay, let's talk about our last one. It's a medical emergency. This is a medical emergency that, does, that is not a result of like a mass trauma incident. This is someone's preaching and someone passes out. Someone has a heart attack. Someone falls to the ground, someone has a seizure, what do we do in that case? In that case, what we're going to do is, um, as a church, the person in the pulpit will lead us to pray, and then will lead us to separate ourselves from that person so that medical personnel can come in. We're, we're blessed to have a number of doctors, nurses, um, emergency medical people, all the whole spectrum of people. Those people are gonna be ready to respond. We have. Um, AEDs, we have some bleed kits, like we have some things in place that are going to help us in a medical emergency. But again, unless you're one of those doctors or nurses, that person doesn't need your help. You're just going to get in the way, just like you would if you went to try to get your kids during a fire or during a tornado. Just don't get in the way. So that would be what's going to happen in case of a medical emergency. So How do we respond? Let's end this way. Let's end with 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Finally, brethren, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. So we started out tonight saying, what is our context? Where do we live? And we compare that to the time of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's response to the enemy was to pray and to set a watch. And so we prayed, and now we understand a little bit better about, about how the church is setting a watch. We understand that a little bit better. And what we need to do is, is we need to end with prayer as well. And let's make our prayer the Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. That the word of the Lord would have free course. Pray for that. Um, pray that we would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men.
pray that the ministry here would not be hindered, would not be affected, would not be stopped by unreasonable and wicked men. Because again, we can make all the plans we want, but while we're making plans, so is the enemy. He's going to counterattack everything. And so we have to lift that up in, in prayer. And let's not put our trust in chariots and horses. Let's remember the name of the Lord and let's pray for these things. So let's break up into groups. Let's pray over these plans. Let's pray God's protection over our church. And uh, just when you finish praying, we're dismissed. I um, mean, grab your kids. And if you have questions about these things,